when i first took command of this post all i wanted was to be somewhere else anywhere but here but now five years later this has become my home and you have become my family and leaving the station leaving you is one of the hardest things i've ever had to do but this war isn't over yet i want you to know that while we were keeping the dominion occupied a starfleet klingon task force crossed the border into cardassia and destroyed the dominion shipyards on taurus 3. your sacrifices our sacrifices made that victory possible but no victory can make this moment any easier for me and i promise i will not rest until i stand with you again here in this place where i belong space the final frontier these are the recordings of the podcast give me that star trek its ongoing mission to explore all of star trek to seek out new guests and new opinions to boldly go where many have gone before Welcome to episode 17 of Gimme That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and today I'm joined by the junkyard artist himself, the Longbox from Longbox Crusade and various other podcasts, Mr. Jared Albrecht. How are you, Jared? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I've never been called the junkyard artist before. You were so close. <laughs> Isn't that good? I go by the yard sale artist. Yard but sale. I, but now I'm rethinking the whole mm. thing. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, I was forced to watch Trial of a Time Lord fairly recently, and uh, I guess the Valyard, Junkyard, all, <laughs> all of that, all, all those bad puns are just floating in my head. I'm sorry. The yard sale artist. That's quite all right. Uh, now I'm reconsidering rebranding the whole thing. <laughs> well, don't, don't, don't change your Twitter handle on my <laughs> We'll see. No, but dude, I'm 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 excited to be here. I'm I'm glad you uh you you beamed me up for this. I appreciate it. And on the date this episode is released, if you're listening to it on the same day, Deep Space Nine will be celebrating its 25th anniversary tomorrow, January 3rd, 2018. Uh, so our topic has to be DS9 related. Yeah, and it will be Benjamin Sisko's leadership style. But before we get into that, Jared, the fans need to. <laughs> They need you to prove your Trek credentials with our usual quiz. All right. You ready? I'm going to say no, but it's not going to stop you, so go ahead. Well, the first question is always, what does Trek mean to you? Woo, what does Trek mean to me? Goodness. Trek means actually quite a lot to me. If you've heard me on any other shows, you know that I'm a military combat veteran. And growing up when I was a kid, my father was also in the military. So like, I always knew I was going to the military. That was my career path. I always knew that. And so growing up and watching Star Trek, it was, you know, to a lot of people, it was a sci-fi adventure show, but I was actually sort of keenly in tune to the military aspects of it, the chain of command, how leaders led, how followers followed, and that kind of stuff was always interesting to me. So I, I probably have one of the more I, heavier answers that you've had, but I, I found that it was, 
It taught me a lot about leadership, followership, friendship, and of course, just, you know, great, exciting stories. But, but uh, from the heavier aspect, that's really what it meant to me. I'm, I'm probably uh, one of the few people, or maybe not, that sometimes will watch them in these intense situations and the decisions they make based on their friendships and their and their loyalties and their and their chain of command and get a little verklempt sometimes, man. It, it hits me in the heart. So Star Trek means a ton, a ton to me. I, I don't know if it's the heaviest we've gotten as far as answers <laughs> go. Uh, it's similar to Mike LaCroix, who uh, was on episode 15, where we talked about how uh, Starfleet and uh, real-world military organizations uh, match up. So oh, that's, okay. that's an episode that you, you could find interesting. Oh, I'm going to check that out. Yeah, Mike is also a service member, but... Um, you know, in Canada. So you'll find some parallels there for sure. That sounds really cool. And then the last three questions are very simple. What's your favorite iteration of the show? I want to say Voyager just to make people <laughs> mad. It. Stop um, it. <laughs> no, I, and, and all honesty, I've never seen an episode of Voyager. Oh, so wow. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've watched original and then I went through once they hit Netflix and did all the next generations. And then now I am Oh, I'm very, very deep into my DS9 dive on Netflix as well. I won't spoil the ending. I, please don't. Uh, <laughs> I'm at the tail end of season six right now, and I love it, which is making it hard because I'm really an original crew guy in my heart of hearts, but I think more because of the movies. So for focusing mm-hmm. on TV shows, I'm going to have to give King of the Ring to Deep Space Nine. I really enjoy it. The movie era isn't a bad answer either. Okay. Uh, well, I, I'd say those are... I probably movie era might just edge out Deep Space Nine, but man, it's close. I have really fallen in love with Deep Space Nine. It's one of those things that just exceeded expectations. It's definitely my favorite of the bunch. What about your favorite character? I've discovered, thanks to Deep Space Nine, that I think my favorite character is Quark. Really? Uh, I, I I adore Quark. Geez, probably about six eight months ago, I put a thing on on Twitter about uh, the character that I think in my head that I am and then who I really am. In my head, I think I'm Worf, but in real life, I'm probably Quark. So I, I, would to, <laughs> I would have to say Quark just, he entertains me. He's funny. He's slimy, but ultimately when you put him in a corner, he's going to do the right thing. So he's he's fun to watch. He, if we can cross podcast into the JLI podcast, he's like the Guy Gardner of uh, of Star Trek in that he's he's just I don't know I love Cork I'm going with Cork okay <laughs> sure he's got it there's an honor to him there's a you know there's a sense of honor there yes there is there's a sense of honor hidden under his oily exterior <laughs> yeah within that other code yeah uh, and finally what's your favorite alien species from Star Trek I think I'm gonna have to just go with my gut here and go with maybe the most unoriginal answer that you're gonna get but I like Vulcans okay Vulcans uh, I just I've always been uh, fascinated no pun intended uh, with them. And uh, I just like Vulcans. Cool. Well, it is a frequent answer. It's either them or the Klingons, usually. Yeah, the Klingons are very cool. But yeah, in my heart of hearts, going back to when I was a kid, I was like, man, those Vulcans are just really interesting. So I'm sticking with it. Okay. So let's talk Ben Sisko. Obviously, I'm a fan. My online handle is Siskoid in honor of that character. Oh, I, did. I was wondering if there was a connection there. Okay, so verified. Got it. Yep. Uh, and uh, Jared, you're the one who suggested we talk about his leadership style. So what is it about Cisco that speaks to you in that way? Well, in my day job, I teach uh, leadership classes for a living. Uh, so, and as I mentioned to you earlier, I sort of watched Star Trek through a different lens, I think, than a lot of people. I watched very militaristically in leadership and followership. So when I first got into Deep Space Nine and said, okay, let's, you know, learn about this new, uh, commander and then, and then later on captain, 
uh, I was just really in tune to that, and I was just really kind of watching him. And just episode upon episode upon episode, his leadership style just continued to impress me and captivate me. And uh, I think he was a uh, a fresh change from Picard. Because Picard had been really the only game in town for a while. I mean, you had Kirk, obviously, and then he's kind of gone, except in movie universe. And you got Picard just basically running the the '90s, the, almost the whole decade of the '90s. And then in comes Cisco, and so I, I watch, I watch Ben Cisco, and he's just very charismatic. I see a lot of characteristics in him that I saw in a lot of real life good leaders that I followed in the military, you know, uh, in my Air Force career and in my time with the Army uh, in Iraq. So I just find him very appealing on a lot of different levels. Yeah, so, some people. People have said that he was a more democratic leader. Do you find that that he apparently listens to everyone's opinions? He, you know, he has a lot of factions to yes. please or to, to deal <laughs> with. You know, uh, he's got a confidant in Dax, but he's also, you know, he's got to, he's got the Bajorans and he's got some Ferengi mm -hmm. and merchant people mm -hmm. on the station, and he's got to all combine that together in some way. Is he a more democratic? type leader than say Picard? I, I well that's interesting. I I'm of the opinion they're they're both very similar in their democratic leadership style. Mm -hmm. Uh I remember a lot of scenes of Picard sitting around um his boardroom table and getting input from everyone. Sure. Which is a, a you know a very good leadership style. But I'm going to give more credit uh for to Cisco for his democratic leadership style. Uh, based off of basically what you just said, I mean, Picard did it with his group of officers, which is great. They're all sort of, in essence, a like-minded body, all wanting the same thing. Cisco is more like a commander of, like, a United Nations troop, you know, <laughs> with uh, mm. people from all kinds of different backgrounds, different goals, different agendas. And yet he has love and respect for all of them because, you know, not only does he have to be something of a military leader. He also has to be something of a spiritual leader as the emissary oh, yeah. to the uh, Bajorans. And so, you know, they're near and dear to his heart, but he also has to remove himself from that sometimes and say, this is near to my heart, but this is what's for the greater good. So I think he's in a more difficult position than Picard. And I think his skills at leadership uh, excel in that area. And just to tack on to that, I feel like he's a very good blend of a Picard and a Kirk because there are moments where he needs to Kirk it up, if you will, <laughs> and kind of shoot from the hip, go rogue, trust his gut and do what needs to be done. And he always picks the perfect moments to do that. He always recognizes when those moments are there and chooses wisely. So yes, he gets very high marks from me. He's a more emotional leader than Picard because Yeah. Picard feels very much like if you're, say you're in trouble with the captain, Picard will sit at his desk and he'll, he'll give you a cold scolding. The, the very much the, I'm very disappointed in you, Mr. Worf. <laughs> yes. You kind of you go to the principal's office and that, you know, that's what happens. With Cisco, his emotions are always boiling up to the surface. He's, you know, he's, he'll fly off the handle. He'll shout at you. He'll be restraining that rage and then bringing himself back down and you see it all play on his face and in his physicality. And I'm wondering if that style, the more passionate style, is something that people respond to well. I, I, I happen to be that kind of leader. <laughs> <laughs> Do you respond better? I mean, you teach courses in this right do people respond well to uh, that kind of more aggressive leadership style or that more emotionality in in leadership in their leaders well again i think cisco it gets why he captivates me so much i think he strikes the absolute right balance in that people don't want to be yelled at and browbeaten when they make mistakes 
You need to address it, obviously, but yelled at and browbeaten really doesn't create a conversation so much uh, to correct things as it does just make them feel worse. Mm -hmm. And I think Cisco does a good job of showing his emotion and his disappointment and his passion without browbeating. He shows a lot of of his, like we said, his emotions bubble the surface, but I notice a lot of times he's leading them, he's leading the person who messed up to the proper answer. He's not telling them, this is what you do next time. He's very passionately saying, what are you going to do next time differently, in essence, and allowing them to come to the conclusion instead of just sitting there browbeating them. So while he does have a lot of emotion that bubbles to the surface, it's, it's, the conversation is still cooperative and productive. I said, that's enough! You're startling officers. Now start acting like it. Tough guys, a little pressure and they buckle. Dax, maybe you haven't noticed, but no one's laughing. Now I know it's hot, we're filthy, tired, and we've got 10 isotons of explosives going off outside. But we will never get out of this if we don't pull it together and start to act like professionals. The emotion can be a good thing because it lets people know where, where they stand and how you feel. And as a leader, it makes you look less robotic, which I think if we go back to Picard, it's almost like, oh, he's he's cold shouldering me. And I think anybody who's experienced the two different types of leaders who's been cold shouldered versus who's had sort of a a passionate redirection discussion. I think most people would pick passionate redirected discussion than, oh, you're cold shouldering me. How long is this going to last type of a deal? So, again, Cisco captivates me in that he takes it right up to that edge to where he's not, like, shouting at them, throwing things, calling names, saying hurtful things that you can't take back. It's well-managed emotion. And he just – he hits that borderline perfectly. Yeah, I wonder if part of that is that he started out as a commander on the show. He didn't start out as a sort of patriarch the way Picard was already that – already a man of a certain age, already captain of a crew. Cisco had to start lower down on the ladder. And it's not, I mean, the focus of the shows, I like to say that for the first three shows, TOS is about a group of friends. It's about friendship. Yes, 100% agree. Yeah, TNG is about a family. There's, they've got a lot of family issues, episodes, and Picard is sort of a cold, but he's the patriarch of that group where, you know, maybe the others are his kids. And then Deep Space Nine is about a community. It's about building a community rather than... I like Yeah. So it makes him a community leader and, and a religious leader as, as well as a civilian leader, as well as a, a military leader in the context of Deep Space Nine. It takes a different approach, really. But um, I, I wonder if because he started out lower ranked and almost, you might say, on an even level with Kira, for example, mm. they're not in the same service, so it, it, you know you can't compare ranks. But right. I wonder if that allows him to have more of a, a more balanced or personal relationship with the other characters. I think you're really on to something. I've never heard it explained to me about the friends, family, and community thing before, and I think that just rings really true. And I think you're also right in that we get to see him step into that role, that captain's role. And I think that does give you more allowance for emotional responses and stuff because he's figuring it out. I'm sure that everyone's first step into the realm of a of a captain or, or a colonel or, or you know what I mean, a, a high ranking mm -hmm. official over a large body of people. Everybody probably has struggles at first. And I can easily see like if we flash forward on ben cisco you know five or ten years i could see him being a more settled in the card type i think your theory holds water my friend well i i'll, I'll even throw some shakespeare 
in there. You know, to me, Cisco is perhaps Prince Hal to Picard's Henry the Fourth. So you've got the for people who haven't read the plays, <laughs> the <laughs> the, uh, the you know the, it's it's two leadership styles, two styles of royalty in the the Shakespeare plays. So you've got Henry the Fourth, who is the embodiment of whatever the king is, the country is. So if the king is sick, the country is sick, and the 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 leader must rule from on high. Picard is that, where he's in his office, he is remote, he does not normally take part in activities with the, the lower ranks. He lets Riker do that. He lets Riker become friends with people. Riker does the like the management jobs, and Picard is the guy you you don't question. He's in his office, right. he's someone else, he's not he's got a personal relationship with uh, Crusher and you know but everything else is sort of fatherly and you know the the show ends TNG ends with that poker game where finally Picard joins the poker game joins yeah. right right but Cisco He's already friends with everyone, or he tries to build relationships with everyone. So Prince Hal in the, the plays, and I guess in real life, Henry V, uh, when his father was, was that remote, godlike king, he was down with the people. He was hanging out in taverns. Uh, he was making friends with the normal folk. And he would rule in that way by saying, if you know the people and if the people respect you and know you, then you can better rule them and you better understand their realities and and they respect you for understanding them uh, so when we look at the at Deep space nine you see cisco cooking for his crew we see cisco playing baseball with his crew he's really socializing with them he can laugh with them it doesn't feel like a man apart sitting in an office somewhere very much so have you seen the take me out to the hollow suite yet or you're not there yet? Uh, I don't think I'm there. I've seen him. It's the all baseball episode. Okay, I don't think I've caught that one yet. I want to give you props, though, for dropping Shakespeare references on the podcast. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a Shakespeare scholar first and foremost. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I was going to be like, oh, it's like James Bond with Bernard Lee's M, and then Judy Dench came <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah. And then you were, like, you were like Shakespeare, and I was like, forget it. Forget my stupid analogy. <laughs> well, it may speak to, to people. You know, it's not... Um, Shakespeare's not for everyone, but, <laughs> but you classed up the show and I like it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So I, I wanted to, to use the baseball analogy because baseball is a little bit like that where it works with teamwork, but you also have moments of personal or individual right. achievement. And that's a little bit how he, you know, I, I, I might have used that episode as a template for how he actually manages his crew because the way he manages a baseball team in that. But um, I'm looking forward to this episode. Now. <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for you. It's one of my favorite. Won't spoil it. But people who know the show might uh, look to that and wonder if it represents Cisco's leadership style. You do your own homework at home, people. <laughs> Again, th this is you know, an example of Cisco's management style because he's He's managing the, the sports team. He's managing the, the community. He's managing his crew. What do you think of his leadership uh, as pertains to his fatherhood? Because this, mm. this is something that Picard doesn't have or any of the other captains, their own child living with them. He's a single father. And mm -hmm. being a father, I imagine, not having kids, but <laughs> I imagine is also takes leadership. You have to lead your family. Mm -hmm. You have kids. I do. I have two boys, 11 and 3. I really spaced them out there. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I definitely have um, tuned in on not only his leadership abilities uh, on the station, but al also his father uh, abilities with Jake. 
And again, I, he just continues to impress me because obviously uh, he and Jake will butt heads and disagree like all fathers and sons will. But Cisco does something that I actually actively noticed as I was watching these and wanted to bring into my life as a father. Uh, so, yeah, this a TV show is influencing my parenting. But he always, whenever they, they are in a disagreement or, or he, he's upset with Jake, he always brings it back, always brings it back to how much he loves Jake. And it's always very clear. And Jake always understands. You can always tell that they almost never – I can't think of any time where they've ever ended anything just completely bitterly. There's always a mutual understanding, a mutual love, and I think on the show it is can be a product of the fact that he is a single dad and that Jake and um, Captain Sisko became more of a team because of that. They kind of became more of a duo. So Jake kind of – basically what I'm saying is Jake had to step up with more responsibility sooner, mm-hmm. and he excelled at that. And so I think that really strengthens their, their relationship and their bond because they needed each other for so long. But I again, I just go back to Cisco does a great job of even during disputes and discussions, just keeping the focus on their team, their home team, if you will, their love for one another um, trumps everything else. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm especially impressed that, you know, usually they will create on shows, on any show, on any television show, they'll create some strife, some father-son issues, just by making the, the father really want the son to go in his footsteps and the son sort of right. rebelling against that. That's not what happens here. Jake goes his own way. He's not going to be the Wesley Crusher. You know, he doesn't have to be in Starfleet. And I don't think that Cisco pushes him that way. And it's not an element. Yeah. Yeah, Cisco has no problem with it. It doesn't create conflict between them. It's a more healthy relationship than what we often see on television. Well, I think Cisco recognizes what his son's talents are and allows him to pursue his talents. Because he's like, man, this kid's a really talented writer, which has nothing to do with the military, has nothing to do with Starfleet, but that's his talent. So let him chase it. Just let him chase it. You know, uh, it's and again, into my personal life, my 11 year old, like I told you, I was the son of a military man and I grew up like just knowing I was going to be in the military. I asked my my 11 year old recently, I said, son, do you have any interest in going to the military? And he says flat out, no. OK, just no. And I, and I for a brief moment, I was like, did I do something wrong? Did I not? inspire him enough or where did i go wrong i said well, what do you want to do he said i want to be an artist which is what i do now so i'm like oh that's very flattering that he wants to follow me in that direction and then just as a humor aside i said uh i said well, why don't you want to be in the military without missing a beat he goes i don't want to get shot and i was like dang i didn't have that perspective when i was 11 <laughs> kid is a kid is practical as all get out <laughs> but uh, they grow up so fast they do he's like, i don't want to get shot good good thinking but no, the point of it is, is let him – and my son, my 11-year-old son's a great artist. And so I have no problem. Let him follow his passion. Let him follow what he's good at. And that's what Cisco's doing on the show. He's letting he's letting Jake follow what he's good at, and he's perfectly happy with that. And I think that's that's a really cool thing. That's super cool. Like you said, on TV, you get so much dad's uh, son manufactured anger because it followed the footsteps, and Cisco just is unconcerned with that. And it leads to Jake becoming more – he's more independent, and I think I told you this when we first started chatting back and forth about doing this episode. He's the least annoying young person in all of Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. 
because <laughs> he has his own path and it's not a, they don't use him as a tool for some sort of father son conflict all the time it's much more about father son love than it is conflict and i totally dig that yeah and he's not as precocious as, as some of these <laughs> it's true wonderkins it, it's always annoying the, the you know the precocious kid is always yes <laughs> it feels written you know it doesn't feel real but jake feels very real <laughs> he does and very, very mature. He does, like you said, he doesn't have to be precocious. He doesn't have to be a, a smart butt. He doesn't have to be anything extreme. He's just, he's just Jake. Jake being Jake. So kudos and hats off to not only the actor, uh, but the writers. I think they did a really good job of going, let's not reuse this path. Yeah. In the context of this conversation, it makes me realize that Jake really takes uh, after his father uh, because the, the whole, the whole thing, the other, point of conflict that might have arisen is his friendship with nog you know J yes and this is nog is a bad influence on jake yes but in the end it's jake and his world that influences nog to become the first ferengi in starfleet really jake has the same kind of leadership that brings people together brings people onto a common plan that ben cisco has and that turns you know the same way that perhaps cisco is turning rom and quark jake is, has turned nog so the, mm -hmm. the influence has gone the other way and kudos to the leadership of ben cisco again because ben cisco could have done the whole i forbid you to see him he's a bad influence on you no you can't can't hang out with him but i think he had a lot of perspective and and saying you know sometimes You know, boys got to be boys. And as long as they keep it within, you know, certain bounds, this friendship's okay. And I think he had enough wisdom to know that Jake would be a good influence on Nog. It's about trusting Jake. It is. You're absolutely right. It's about trusting Jake. So when you forbid things, maybe then then the kids want to rebel and maybe then they'll, you know, they'll be going against you. Uh, but in this case, there's no reason to go against the parent because he, you know, because he's supportive of that friendship and that path. In the same way, Cisco then is supportive of Nog applying to Starfleet and gives him a recommendation letter. And, and this is totally in keeping with what Star Trek is about, which is a, taking all our differences and pulling them together and being stronger for it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My science project, I'm growing Bajoran caterpots to find out which hybrid yields the biggest root. That's it? You're just going to watch it grow? Yeah, pretty neat, huh? Hmm. Not bad. But don't you think it's a little low-tech? I'm a low-tech kind of guy, Dad. <clears throat> I still think you can do something a little more challenging. If you could do any science project you wanted to, anything at all, what would it be? Visit the Gamma Quadrant? And what would you do when you got there? I could do a planetary survey. All right, let's do it. Really? So you've served in the military, and Star Trek obviously has a military format, or Starfleet does, and uh, there is military conflict in these shows. Mm -hmm. How does Cisco's leadership style apply or compare when we are in those kinds of situations i uh again this is turning into jared's uh, love of cisco show uh but he earns it um he's he's amazing he's amazing when they get into tough military situations he does what you want your military leaders to do he makes strong decisions he makes good decisions he makes decisions quickly he doesn't fly off the handle with uh with insane emotions he keeps a fairly level head he considers uh all angles quickly 
He puts himself before his his troops, but again, he's not adverse to making a tough decision. You know, sort of a, a needs of the many outweigh the needs of the of the one type of a deal. So I, I think he's incredible. Uh, I, I really like the way he keeps his, his he keeps his cool, keeps his head, his command presence during those difficult times, during high stress times, is incredible. His love and his um, what's the word I'm looking for? His priorities. Hmm. His priorities are very, very, very good. He puts a high priority on on friendships, as as I think everybody in the military does. If you haven't heard before, there's a somewhat common expression that. A lot of people think soldiers fight for, you know, in my case in the United States, soldiers fight for mom and apple pie and home and the American flag and that kind of thing. But what the reality is you fight for the guy who's next to you. And I think Cisco does a great job at um, keeping that in, in mind. Like he cares about his people. He wants the best outcome for his people. He understands that mission comes first, but he's always prioritizing uh, keeping as many people alive as he can. I take that back to... An episode that you're probably going to remember better than me because I've only seen it once. But they were like on a planet. They were trapped there and they kept putting Cisco in like a like a prisoner of war lockbox. OK, yeah. And they were basically told him, you know, basically, if you do this one thing and, and you, I can't remember if it was give up his people or give up his friends or whatever, will let you, you know, do what you need to do. And he just kept going back into that box, <laughs> just kept going back in that box. And uh, that episode spoke uh, volumes to his leadership, uh, in my opinion. So that's probably way deeper than. You probably wanted to go, but but yeah, I think he he holds his presence well. I think he prioritizes well. Uh, I think he makes smart, strong decisions. That's probably the easier answer. If you just want to edit to that point, you can go right right there. (laughs) No worries. Um, It's a hallmark of the show that we go a little bit deeper than most people need us to. I like that. That's right. You should tune into the show if you want the deep dive, folks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, there's so much Star Trek stuff out there. Let's, you know, you have to go a little bit to somewhere that we, that surprises us sometimes. Ah, I like it. So let's do that, actually. You teach leadership. I do. And um, there are elements that are part and parcel of leadership. Can we sort of match the course to Cisco as an example? Absolutely. What I've brought with me is is in the leadership classes uh, that I teach. I use a system provided by a company called DDI, Developed Dimensions International, and they have five key principles for good leadership. And so I brought those along with, so we kind of bounce those off of, of Cisco. The first, uh, actually, they're not in no particular order, but the first one that comes up is called um, Build and Enhance Self-Esteem of the People Around You. It's almost like I'm interviewing you now on your own show. Mm-hmm. Have you witnessed Cisco building and enhancing the self-esteem of his crew and the people around him? I believe so. I believe so, too. Yeah, I think Nog is a good example. The um, Absolutely. Uh, Rom's role in Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, which you haven't seen yet, <laughs> falls into that that category. And, and sometimes it's hard to do that. And even for, mm-hmm. you know, even for Cisco, your first reaction is that the person is a failure or will fail or you don't always want to give that person a chance. I think you're absolutely correct. You should start going on the road with me to teach these clients. But eventually he does. I mean, I think Cisco eventually, even if at first he's perhaps resistant, eventually goes there. But I mean, he gives... Uh, Worf, Command of the Defiant, even though it's his ship. Uh, There are many elements of being good at delegating and trusting the people he's delegated. Mm-hmm. And even when people mess up, like we said, when he gives in those sort of those dress down sessions, I'm always picking up that he's he'll say things like, I know you have the ability to do this because I've seen you do it before, showing that building that esteem and showing that faith in them, even during a during a dress down situation. Yeah, I think he's very good at that. The second point in the class is, is called uh, share thoughts, feelings and rationale. 
Share as much information, the reason behind decision making as you can with the people around you. So what do you think about that one? Well, Star Trek is usually good at um, giving, you know, info dumps. So you've got <laughs> somebody's got to say what what needs to be done and why they're doing. <laughs> you know, the, the here the uh, Dax Cisco relationship comes to mind because mm-hmm. he'll work it out with someone else. He'll work out his mm-hmm. own feelings and opinions with someone else. Uh, so on screen we see it whether or not the entire crew knows that's what's going on. You've been watching them perhaps more recently than I have. That's in there for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But and and sometimes you know you don't notice it because it's not a problem. Uh, whereas for, uh, mm-hmm. Voyager, for example, one of the problems I personally have with Janeway's uh, style, or you could even say this of Kirk for that matter, mm-hmm. they'll keep it close to the vest, and then there's yes. a reveal to the audience. There's a reveal that there was a plan all along. You know, he's, he's conning us, like it happens in uh, Star Trek Two. You know, in the Wrath of Khan, where he, he and Spock have their own secret plan to fudge the mm-hmm. repair time, you know. Uh, and then, boom, he reveals it to the rest. And they've been believing they've been doomed all this time, you know. Yes. <laughs> so that's sort of, that's when sometimes you go, oh, I, I feel like the crew members are in conflict with their captain because they don't right. know the whole plan. They don't know what's happening. They don't know why a decision's been taken. And mm-hmm. eventually the violence play at the end and you know it's it's said, you know, you should have trusted me 7 of 9 because uh, blah 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 blah. Well, why didn't you come forward earlier with your <laughs> yeah. thought process? You know how to get me to trust you? <laughs> you share information right. with me. That's a trust builder. Yeah. So you're you're absolutely right. I mean, and I think you hit the nail on the head too. I think Cisco excels at this more so than the other captains. Well, Picard I think excels at it too. Mm-hmm. But like you said, Kirk's very much a let's do this, and people will be like, even sometimes people will be like, why? Because in the captain, let's do it, and then he'll reveal it later on. People want to know why, makes them feel better, makes them trusty, makes them feel part of the team. And you're right, I think Cisco does a great job bringing us to point number three: listen and respond with empathy. And of course, uh, a lot of people hear that one and go, wait, you know, you got to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. No, you know, listening to respond with empathy is nothing more than saying, identifying the emotion the person has and saying you understand that emotion and why they have it. It's validating that, that no one's emotion is ever wrong. You know, people feel how they feel and that's all it is. So do you feel like and Cisco does a good job when people are in strong emotional situations of identifying them with that emotion and allowing a conversation to take place? I think so. I think in any case, television is based on scenes where people talk so you know yes. even within the structure of the show that has to happen but he, he's dealing with a lot of angry people uh, mm-hmm. so the the fact that it doesn't always just blow up uh, and is left unresolved is something uh, kira is extremely aggressive and will mm-hmm. come into the office shouting and eventually he brings that person closer yes quark odo they're all very cold to him originally through the the whole show and that's i think the magic of Deep space nine is that there's very much an arc going through the whole thing where the characters grow and change and you know react to one another in a natural way and cisco brings this whole very disparate group together and they become a sort of family and really they don't start off anywhere close to that and i think you can't do that without exactly what you've been talking about point three empathy by understanding others others that are sometimes from alien cultures uh in his case he brings them closer and makes them also empathize with him. Exactly. He's, yeah, I think he's he's stellar at that. Bringing us to point four, provide support without removing responsibility. What do you think about that? Provide support, give people the, the help they need by giving them the tools they need, removing barriers without taking away the responsibility that it's their job. 
Yeah, I think that's... Um, I'd say that most Star Trek captains have that ability. It's all about super competent people. <laughs> so they have to do their jobs and they have to have their moments uh, just for the television show to work. But um, it's something to certainly that you should emulate. There's nothing worse than micromanaging mm-hmm. or being micromanaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, uh, you know, I'll tell you how to do something or I'll ask you to do something which is within your competence and then... Uh, going over the the person's work and eventually just ripping it out of their hands and doing it yourself because you know under the old <laughs> adage that if you want something done right, done right, yeah. uh, that doesn't happen in Star Trek. It can't happen. Who do you think the most micromanaging captain is? I think Kirk, Kirk probably. Yeah. It might be just because of the nature of the old shows. You know how they kind of always had the the big three doing the heart of the show, and sometimes you watch it and you go, "Wait, why is Kirk doing that? <laughs> why why did Kirk just grab the helm?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. It's probably just the nature of how the shows were yeah, made. Yeah, the but. sort of uh, you know, rocket ship hero, the sort of Flash Gordon. Yeah, uh, hands on everything. He's always on every away team. Yes, and then of course Picard is sort of the opposite. He sort of hands off everything, and then I think Ben Cisco is a very good blend of the two. So, will that bring us to the final uh, leadership point from the classes that I teach as we apply them to Deep Space Nine and Ben Cisco? The final one says, "Ask for help and encourage involvement." You know, which is very much the difference between going in and say, "Okay, this is what this is our challenge, and this is how we're going to face it." Man your battle stations versus this is our current challenge. Who has ideas on how we can face this? Right. He and Picard both have yes a strong you know a strong management style that uh, in, in that way. I mean, you're surrounded by experts, and I've, I've always said this. Give the experts their voice. Mm-hmm. If you've brought someone in with an expertise, then that person you know, has a responsibility to bring that expertise. And you have a responsibility to listen to those people. Why would you have an expert in your midst and not use them and not mm-hmm. believe them and not listen to them you know, and not consult them? So Cisco and a lot of the Starfleet captains uh, have to do this, have to. Even Kirk has to defer to the scientific experience of Spock. Medicine is, you know, everybody's got their little expertise and you've got to bring all of that into the whole team i guess that's what you're talking about right absolutely yeah i think you hit the nail on the head and it's funny because i say that in my day job too i i have had bosses before that uh want to micromanage everything i think we all have Mm -hmm. and you sit there and scratch your head and you go what are you paying me for yeah why am i here which exactly goes back to your point if you have experts why don't you use them? And if you use all five of the things that we talked about, your experts are going to step up and excel and do the right thing and help you be successful every single time. Yep. And as we went down that list, we use as a checklist for Ben Cisco. We see that, uh, yeah, he's winning. He's on top of this, man. And keeping in mind what you said earlier, this is his first serious, large scale command. And uh, frankly, I think he's killing it, man. He's doing a great job. <laughs> So my annual performance review for Benjamin Sisko uh, shows that he's doing a very good job. <laughs> he's going to get a very nice Christmas bonus from Jared Com this year. <laughs> yeah, and there is a trap to that last one, you know, the the idea that, sure, I'm going to defer to the scientist or I'm going to defer to the doctor. Well, those are very, very specialized and complicated disciplines. Mm-hmm. But my actual field is communications. Well, guess what? Everybody thinks they can communicate because they do on a daily basis. So your expertise is actually something everyone does. Mm-hmm. They, they'll go with their gut rather than go with mm-hmm. whatever the, the expert is saying. For uh, Cisco, 
it's less about trusting the scientists and trusting the doctor and all. It's also trusting that Kira knows what the hell she's talking about when she's talking about the Bajoran people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's trusting that Quark knows business. It's it's trusting that um, that Worf knows how to to lead a ship and kill people and, and break things. <laughs> <laughs> Even though Cisco can do that as well, you know, that's the that's um, the thing. That that does bring up a question that I don't know the answer to, um, and perhaps you do. I don't mean to put you on the spot. If, if you don't know, I'm sure that's fine, except you might get angry letters. Cisco, what discipline did he come up through? I'm sure there's an internet somewhere that I could look this up on, but yeah. Because <laughs> I've actually never spent a lot of time thinking of where the captains came from. I always assumed that Captain Kirk came from um, oh, what Sulu does, navigation mm -hmm. and and whatnot. I don't know if that's right, though. I just assumed that he did. Well, that's the command trajectory. There's a command track. Yeah, there's I a command it. track. Okay. For Cisco, let's see. Are you going to tell me? Are you going to tell me memory alpha? <laughs> well, he was, that's right. He was originally um, interested in engineering and ship design because he designed the Defiant. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, however, that's right. Captain Layton, later Admiral Layton, traitor noticed <laughs> potential in young cisco and promoted him to lieutenant commander making him the executive officer so he was an xo i got you yeah he got pulled out of um whatever interest in engineering he had and put that makes total him. sense because yeah. i've seen episodes where like he and jake are like building a, a ship together and yeah, stuff like yeah. that so yeah he yeah he is a builder i completely forgot that yeah i'm really i'm just tremendously enjoying my trip through deep space nine and hopefully one day i'll be like you and seen it all multiple times but yeah i Need to watch it again. I mean, uh, it's it's hard to find time uh, when you're watching many other things and reviewing lots of stuff and podcasts and writing <laughs> and uh, because it is such a big enterprise. No pun intended there. But I'm bummed. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Uh, you know, it's it's seven <laughs> seasons of a show. Like it's uh, you know, it's a lot of episodes. Well, speaking speaking of which, in case you didn't know this, I'm I'm currently broadcasting to you. The city I live in in Alabama is called Enterprise, Alabama. Oh. So, uh, yeah, a lot of my nerdier friends uh, show appreciation for that. I do live in Enterprise, which is um, pretty cool. Well, Canada does have a Vulcan. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, uh, they, they, they've got like a little touristy cottage industry there that's Star Trek related because uh, but it's Vulcan, Alberta. So it's very far from here. I've never been that far west. You know, I'm a little sad that, that Enterprise, Alabama hasn't, you know, milked the connection more. There's not really a the bit, most thing we've got here. We've got a coffee shop called Boldly Going Coffee Shop. I like it. And that's it. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's all the time we have, but I think yeah. we've covered the the topic academically, philosophically, and with a lot of uh, love and passion for the character in the show. Jared, why don't you tell people where uh, they can find you on the internet? Oh, I'm all over that internet. Mm -hmm. um, you can, if you're interested in uh, following me personally on Twitter, I'm at Yard Sale Artist, and on Facebook, I'm Jared Albrick, Yard Sale Artist. If you search Yard Sale Artist, uh, you will find me. Um, if you want to hear more of my chitter chats, uh, you can check out On Her Majesty's Secret. Secret Podcast is a James Bond podcast I do with Van Allen Plexico. Uh, the White Rocket Entertainment Network, which is also Van's sort of catch-all show. And on there, I do a show on Babylon 5 and a show on Quantum Leap. Um, you can also find me, of course, on The Long Box Crusade with Pat Sampson, Jason Albrick, and Delvin Williams. So you can find me here, there's, and everywhere. Yeah, and you've been uh, a guest on other Fire and Water shows. I have. Film and Water and all that. So uh, I'll let you beam back down to uh, – well, beam back – Sideways to the Enterprise. <laughs> to the Enterprise. <laughs> to the Alabama Enterprise. And uh, uh, I'll stick around and give you some uh, subspace transmissions, Star Trek news, and your feedback. Thanks, Jared. Thank you for having me.
Hello, I'm Pat Sampson, and I would like to invite you to join me on my podcast, The Long Box Crusade. On this podcast, I'm reading through my 20-plus long boxes that I have stored away in my basement. On each episode, I will select a random issue from my collection and take a very highbrow, thoughtful approach to examining these truly American art forms that help to shape our popular culture. Oh, I like comics too. Uh, can I get a comic out of my long box that syncs up with the month and year of the comic from your long box and chat about that too? Oh, oh and video games. Can we talk about games? Or, or maybe James Bond too. I love James Bond. <sighs> Fine. Jared Elbrick, a.k.a. the Yard Sale Artist. We can add some of your comics and enthusiasm to the show. It might help get a deeper introspection of... Did someone say James Bond? I love James Bond, and I love comics too. I can bring a comic from my long box to sync up with you guys. I also love movies and music, even news stories that tie into the time period that match the comic books we review. Uh, this is what I get for inviting both the Albrecht brothers into my show. Jason, how the heck can we fit all that into my deeply intellectual review of... Uh, well, you know what? Fine. Let's do it. Let's cram it all into one podcast. Join us on the Longbox Crusade, folks. We'll bounce around in time from issue to issue, pulled randomly from my longboxes, and the Alpert Brothers will bring along issues with the same month and year cover date. We'll talk about the comics and the time period they come from, including... World news of that time. Top 40 music chart toppers. Movies, both good and bad. Maybe even some favorite recipes. Whatever I think is funny. We'll probably have to suffer through things that Jared thinks are funny. We'll jam it all into one pop culture extravaganza, examining the comics in my longbox and the time period surrounding them. Join us for a wild ride through time on the Longbox Crusade podcast as we attempt to read them all. What's in your longbox? In Star Trek news over the past month, it's all been about Quentin Tarantino coming to an agreement with J.J. Abrams to direct a Star Trek movie. And part of that agreement is that this film would be R-rated. Tarantino isn't set to write this, so you can forget your gach with cheese jokes. Rather, Paramount has tapped Mark L. Smith to write the screenplay. Smith is best known for writing The Revenant. This would be his first science fiction story, the rest mostly being horror-type stuff like Vacancy, The Hole, and Martyrs, little of it well regarded. The one notable reaction in the media is Patrick Stewart showing enthusiasm and more or less offering his services as Jean-Luc Picard. Now, if you'll allow me to editorialize here, first, that doesn't mean this will be a TNG-era picture, though many believe it would be better if Tarantino's Trek weren't a Chris Pine Kirk story, if only to prevent a total breakdown in tone. Discovery dropped the F-bomb a couple months ago, and I personally thought it didn't fit the way Trek dialogue works. It's not, nor has ever been, a naturalistic way of speaking in any of the shows. So strong language like this just feels like a stunt. And, and no, I, I didn't think Data saying shit in Generations was very appropriate either. Of course, Tarantino trades on nostalgia a lot, and many of his films are tributes to old movies he's liked. I've long wanted to see what he would do with a science fiction movie, but... 
Even if he'd riff off Star Trek, I wouldn't have imagined him working within the confines of a pre-existing shared universe. And if nostalgia drives him, then the original crew is probably his focus, not TNG. Now, a few years ago on the Nerdist podcast, he was asked what he'd do with a Star Trek movie. And first, he said many TOS episodes could be expanded to feature length. But then he said that yesterday's Enterprise would be a good starting point as well, which could mean an exploration of the Enterprise C era. But before we freak out too much, think about this. He's not writing it. Uh, he'll have a lot of control over the story, presumably, because Smith's work to date has been all schlock until he paired up with a director uh, who obviously turned his script into something else entirely. You know, he works for the director. Also, he's mainly a horror-thriller writer, so perhaps Tarantino is expecting to play nice as far as language goes, but do an intense horror story. Think of his direction on CSI, for example. There, he's playing with someone else's toys, but he doesn't break them. In any case, we'll follow these news intently until film's release, which won't be until 2020 at least. Looking for more Star Trek? IDW is now publishing a Star Trek Discovery ongoing comic series. Uh, the Discovery soundtrack album was released in mid-December. The third Discovery novel has been announced. It will be called Fear Itself and focus on Saru. The other two books are Drastic Measures that came out in September and Desperate Hours that comes out in February. Netflix has just released a new season of the excellent anthology series Black Mirror, and it includes a Trek homage episode called USS Callister. It's fourth out of six. Uh, and watch your theater listings in late January for Please Stand By, a film in which Dakota Fanning plays an autistic woman who leaves the group home she lives in and travels to Los Angeles hoping to submit her Star Trek script a story about Spock going to Deep Space Nine, to a screenwriting competition. Tony Collette, Alice Eve of Star Trek Into Darkness, and Patton Oswalt also star. Your comments about episode 16, in which Rob Kelly and I discuss the wilderness years, the interregnum between TOS and TNG. The episode also included reviews of every episode of the animated series and the original cast Star Trek films. Rob Kelly himself is first to comment. He says, Very much appreciated Gene's clear-eyed, well-spoken defense of the motion picture, but still didn't buy a word of it. Gene answered, If I ever change your mind, Rob, I'll probably die of shock. And Rob said back, Maybe we need a commentary track for it. Well, we certainly would have a lot of space in there to talk about all sorts of things. Uh, David is Gutierrez here says, My first movie memories are from the motion pictures, specifically having to get the Happy Meal toys. Uh, one last note, new record for Rob Kelly. He mentioned going to the Joe Kubert school in under two minutes of a show's start. <laughs> Chris Franklin says, I have the animated series on DVD and the kids and I have popped it in to watch it from time to time. I really like Filmation's design work and I really feel like they nailed the actors' likenesses for the most part. But the repetitive stock animation shots hurt the series somewhat. Uh, he also says, I floated the idea of someone reanimating these episodes with better production values, but some of the acting seems very much like simple line reading, especially from Shatner and Nimoy. Kirk is very low-key through most of the series, as you pointed out, and Nimoy sounds like he's recording voiceover for In Search Of. One wonders what a true voice directing talent like Andrea Romano could get out of the cast. Heck, Shatner killed it in the recent Batman vs. Two-Face, so he has it in him to project with just his voice. 
That's for sure. After all, he is a spoken word artist as well. Uh, Ido Bosnar says, hmm, not really sure why you think the wilderness years lasted until the launch of TNG. Personally, I think that term would be better suited to refer to the period between the end of TOS and the release of the motion picture, i.e. that period where uh, there was no live-action Star Trek productions of any kind, with the animated series as a sort of sole highlight. But it was a time rich with so much fan-based activity that sustained the whole Star Trek phenomenon that basically went unmentioned. The conventions, first and foremost, but also amateur publications like fanzines and even books. Also, the many Trek novels were already being churned out in the 70s, and I think you kind of gave short shrift to the gold key Trek comics. Heck, they even got some nice hardcover reprints in the early aughts. Well, Ido, Uh, one of the problems here is that we were just going on our own experience. And uh, as kids, we did not go to conventions, uh, nor were there any in my uh, area personally. Uh, the Gold uh, Key comics were not perhaps not part of our collective experience, but there will be a, a Gold Key comic highlight in an upcoming episode. So watch for that. Ido also says, also Rob's memories of watching Trek with his dad while eating pizza brought such a big smile to my face, but also made me a bit envious. Neither of my parents liked SF and back when I was young, uh, my dad thought the only things worth watching on TV were the news and hee-haw. Shudder. And while TMP is not my favorite of Trek movies, I consider it among the better ones, so I really appreciated Gene's rebuttal to all of the network's naysayers. That's us. Yeah, hee-haw. We all watched that. I guess it was probably in a time slot where you were in front of the TV no matter what. Uh, Brian Linton said, I'm another second-generation TOS fan who grew up in the wilderness years. My mom, a fan of the original airing, was the one who introduced me to the series in syndication. I have to admit that TMP holds a special place in my heart. It is one of the few movies my dad ever took me to in a theater. It's not that he didn't like watching movies. Rather, he didn't like the cost of watching a movie. I was four years old at the time, and the visuals just blew me away. I have always been a very slow and deliberate person and like having time to take things in. So the pacing of the motion picture didn't bother me as a kid and probably even appealed to me in some respect. Ice D says Gene Roddenberry shot down Lou Scheimer's original idea for the animated Star Trek. Scheimer pitched a small group of kids, essentially teenage Starfleet Academy cadets, essentially shadowing Kirk, Spock, and McCoy aboard the Enterprise and joining them on landing parties. Filmation would go on to use that concept for its live-action series, Space Academy, starring Lost in Space's Jonathan Harris. Space Academy's sequel, Jason of Star Command, featured Jimmy Doohan in its first season. And I remember watching that. Jason of Star Command was part of the Jason and the Super 7 lineup on Saturday mornings. I watched that for sure. Tim Price says, My TMP story is a little different. I had seen TOS in reruns, but my folks didn't go to see TMP in the theaters. However, my junior high science class did as a field trip. That was an amazing treat. So I can't help but have a lot of affection for the motion picture. Uh, Star Trek 4 is really close to being my favorite of the films. 2 is the winner, but I find 4 is easier to rewatch by having a lighter tone. When I need that occasional good cry, then it's time to watch too. Usually, I just want to have something fun on, so four is the way to go. There's really no wrong way to, to watch these. Uh, Facebook likes and shares from Aaron Henley, Alan W. Wright, Brian Ng, Chris Tyler, Derek William Crabb, Gene Hendricks of The Hammer Strikes, Jason Pope, Jennifer Lee Breyer, Jessica Shorter, Logan Garrett, Max Romero of It's Plastic Man, Mike Lacroix of the Canadian Military History Podcast, Shag Matthews, who says, great episode, loved every moment. And on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Abel Mavada. Yes, uh, he's from a strong Klingon family. BoldOutlaw.com, who says, the Trek wilderness years were great years. I can't remember a time when I didn't know Star Trek. I remember getting the Spock figure some months before the others, a special treat. 
And then Chris, Coffee and Comics, uh, Comic Reflections, Craig Oxbro, Darren Selvig, David Bayer Jr., The Irredeemable Shag of Firestorm Fan, Joe Crawford, Jorge Salvador Urado, Connell, Pepin Moyokolani, Rad Adventures, Rob Kelly Creative of Digest Cast, Film and Water Podcast, Host of Sads, Pod Dylan, Superman Movie Minute, and Treasury Comics, Ryan Daly, Ted Kilvington, The Hammer Strikes, Tim Price, and Trekonomics, Trekbot, we welcome our robot overlords. As usual, let me remind you that you can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on the Fire and Water Facebook page or on Twitter with the hashtag FWPodcasts. Until the next episode, this is Siskoid reminding you to go boldly.